Specialty Stories, session number 206. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to talk to physicians about their specialty. This week, I get to talk to Dr. Thomas Maxey, a former Air Force enlisted member turned pediatric heart surgeon. And we're going to talk about what led him to pediatric heart surgery, what he loves about his job, what he doesn't like about his job, and what the toll of having someone's life in your hand means to a pediatric heart surgeon. Dr. Maxey has been out of training now for 13 years as a pediatric cardiac surgeon taking care of newborns with congenital heart defects. We start the conversation talking about how he first became interested in pediatric cardiac surgery. I probably do not have the typical route of landing in pediatric heart surgery as most of my colleagues do. Um, You know, right out of high school, I you know, when it enlisted in the military and wasn't sure what I wanted to do and um, got out of the military, went to college at that point, I actually began my career wanting to be a physical therapist or something to do with maybe sports medicine or something of that nature. I had an anatomy and physiology professor who was a heart transplant recipient. He and I became very close friends and I was just fascinated by everything you know, that he was teaching us. And, um, you know, so my first introduction was, was through him. And then he introduced me to his thoracic surgeon that did his transplant. And, uh, you know, it kind of blossomed from there. So my, you know, my initial passion was just cardiac surgery in general and the physiology around that. Um, I'll get to later some of the specifics of, you know, what the course that it takes to get there. But, um, you know, I, I, I like the challenge and the uh, one particular challenge leads to another and those sorts of things. And I would say that pediatric heart surgery is probably the pinnacle of the surgical world from a, you know, technical skill set and demand. So it, it attracted me early on, but it, you know, I, I never really knew about it, you know, in my early career, but you know, as, as time unfolded, it, it seemed to be the natural fit for me. Yeah. Uh, adults have hearts too, apparently. Um, what, what was it about pediatric heart surgery that, that, interested you more than playing with adults? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I am, you know, I trained and fully, you know, my cardiothoracic training was in adult hearts as well. So, uh, you know, I am a, an adult heart surgeon, uh, but I think the, you know, the variety of pediatric heart surgeons, mm-hmm. uh, surgeries there are to perform is intriguing. Um, you know, in adult heart surgery, you're, you're typically bypassing vessels that are blocked or fixing or replacing valves or maybe an aneurysm. You, pro- you know, there's subtleties to each of those, but you probably have five or six main operations that you do. Mm-hmm. I have about 140 operations that I do in the pediatric heart surgery world. There's just a tremendous variety of congenital heart defects and mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I just find it intriguing. The physiology of each is different. The repair of each is different. Um, and it's, it's very satisfying as a surgeon. Yeah. How much I, I've heard this from a few, a few people who, who work with kids versus adults when they're with, when there is an adult kind of equivalent that sometimes there's a little potential to lose some empathy when it's a self-inflicted wound, right? Of like, well, your, your vessels are blocked because you smoke four packs a day and you, you eat fried chicken all day long versus yeah. the kids, right? The kids, they, they didn't, ha- they couldn't help it. There's just the way they were born typically. How, how much of that do you think plays into someone choosing pediatric heart surgery? No, very, very valid, Ryan. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to answer that question. I mean, I, I think we all, you, you know, as I age, you, you tend to, you know, we all go in this for altruistic reasons, of course, but, uh, you know, I'd, I would be lying to say that you don't, you know, view adults that acquire these heart disease that, by the way, we have a treatment for the treatment is prevention. You, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we have that it's well-documented, it's proven. And, um, you know, so, it's not that I don't have empathy for, for adults, you know, it's not that at all, but I would be lying to say that there's, you know, it feels different for a child that truly had no say so in, you know, how their heart formed or didn't form. Yeah. Um, you know, so I just think it's a different mindset and, you know, it, it, it embarrasses me to say that, but you know, I'm trying to be yeah. as honest as I can. It's and the it's the truth. Yeah. So. For medical students, residents coming up through through their own journeys and, and potentially ending up there with, with pediatric heart surgery on their mind, what are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions that they have about the career? You know, I think with any surgical specialty, particularly cardiac surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, there's a myth of, oh my goodness, you, you can't have a family. You're going to be in the hospital 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, that, that, that needs a little bit of clarity. Uh, I don't, I don't think that that is, that is a hundred percent truth there. Your availability may be different than, you know, someone that works in an emergency room or work shift work. Uh, but I would be willing to bet if you really added up my hours in the hospital, you know, I'm kind of a normal working class guy, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I can't be called tonight to do a heart transplant at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, come see a kid who's, you know, had cardiac arrest after their operation. It doesn't happen often. um, But the, you know, your availability needs to be there to be able to handle that. Um, So I think that's a little bit of a myth. Um, You know, the, the journey that it takes to get here is, is um, quite a journey. It's long, it's tedious, it's hard, it's difficult. It is a tremendous commitment. Um, which I think it is for most specialties, particularly surgical specialties. Mm-hmm. But I think the myth of heart surgeons working 24 hours a day is it, it just needs clarity. You need to be available yeah. a lot of times, maybe more so than other people. But the actual times that I come into the hospital to do this and that at you know, midnight and two o'clock in the morning can probably be counted on one hand you know, wow. throughout the year. So you know, fortunately, kids generally behave after heart surgery, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once we get them out of the operating room safely and into the intensive care unit, they're, they're kind of on autopilot. So, so that's rewarding. So if you count my hours up, I probably don't work any more hours than, you know, an ER doctor that, that, you know, prides themselves on working shift work and yeah. having a great life outside of the hospital. <laughs> Just a little bit more glued to the pager, just in case. I, I think so. Yeah. Interesting. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good pediatric heart surgeon? 
a trait that I make up myself. It's called stick to <laughs> um, You know, you it, it is a very long journey to get here. Um, I did 12 years of training after medical school. And uh, those were not pleasant years. Um, you need to be able to look in the mirror and evaluate yourself. Um, just about every problem, surgically speaking, that I have with children is um, a technical error on, on my part. And uh, you need to be able to self-reflect and learn from that, which is difficult. And it takes a while to really understand what I just said there. It's, fit. it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I get that. I, I understand that. But, um, you know, when you... I'm not going to filter my language. When you take a child's life due to a technical error, you, you have to learn from that, grow from that. That has to be absorbed into your soul. And uh, you, you need to be able to come back the following day and deliver. Yeah. And, um, you know, it takes a special mindset to be able to do that. I don't have any more skill than anyone else has, but it's, it's a mindset to be able to do that. And I don't think if you have that mindset, you, you cannot succeed in pediatric heart surgery. Yeah, um, you, you can't bat a thousand every single year, uh, and you, you got to be able to learn from you know a few mistakes that are actually your fault. They're they're no one else's fault. You know the yeah. valve worked when we started, and now it doesn't work, and the kid's not doing well. Somebody's got to own that. Yeah. and I think that that makes my specialty uh, a little bit different than a lot of others. There are a lot of people coming up through medical school residency now. Uh, Self-care is a big topic in the world. They may be interested in pediatric heart surgery, but they hear you say that, that they can't bat a thousand, that they potentially will lose a patient um, at their hands. What advice do you have for someone to, to be able to handle that amount of pressure? Yeah, that's a great question, Ryan. Um, I you know, it's hard. It's very hard to handle that. I'm 53 years old. Um, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Uh, I lose a patient and it's, it's not easy. You know, my, my, my family knows it and they know it for the next week. Um, you know, it's not that I go home and throw a fit, but mm. you know, I sit on the back porch a little bit longer than I did, you know, the previous week. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't get over it. Um, I have to learn from it because I have to operate the following day. Um, but it's uh, it, it's difficult. I don't have a recipe. I don't have a recipe yeah. to tell our students. Uh, you know, this this is what it takes. Um, if I did, maybe I would absorb it more myself. But it's hard. Um, you know, you, you are you are going if you do pediatric heart surgery, you will lose a patient, and uh, it's going to be your fault, which is. You know, that, that's a hard thing to swallow. Like I said, you know, a minute ago when we were talking about the, you, you have to be able to learn from that. Otherwise, you can't. I, I think you'd, you'd be out of this game in a couple of years. Yeah. It, it's hard to, hard to look at the long prize. You know, I don't mean to sound negative on, the, you know, a couple of kids, but, um, you know, we save thousands. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's We do not bat a thousand. Yeah. Let's talk about the patients. What What is a reason or why, why are patients coming to a, a pediatric heart surgeon? Yeah. So just for clarity, um, the word that we use is congenital heart surgeon. And that means uh, that I operate on people who have what I call God-given heart disease. They're, they're born with that particular heart defect. Now, the vast majority of the people that I operate on are kids or babies. Um, but, you know, someone could be my or your age, right? And they have heart disease that maybe they were operated on, you know, 40 years ago when they were a kid or has just now been diagnosed. 
Um, so I operate on all ages, but I do not operate on acquired heart disease, you know, heart blockages and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, the vast majority of my practice is, is, is kids and babies, um, which is, you know, it's enjoyable, but I, but I like the, I like the other side too. I, I like operating on adults that have had previous heart surgery elsewhere, you know, in Boston when they were kids or Philadelphia or Los Angeles and stuff. And, uh, it's a relatively young specialty and the heroes, the, the founding fathers of heart surgery operated on many of the patients that, that I see that are now adults. So I find that rewarding. What's the, the most technical challenging operation that you do? Uh, that's a good question. Um, one of the more common heart defects we have is called an AV canal, complete AV canal. And, um, it varies greatly from one child to another. And that operation involves dividing the heart equally, closing holes in the upper and lower chambers, but it also involves making two functional valves out of one valve. Mm. And the operation can look completely different from child A to child B to child C. So you really have to uh, picture what the heart is gonna look like when it's fully inflated with blood and moving and how the valve tissue is gonna work. So. Um, that can be an easy operation or it can be uh, extremely challenging. And uh, I, I call that operation the, the, you know, the true definer of a congenital heart surgeon. Now, there are other technically demanding operations, but they're essentially the same operation over and over again. Yeah. An AV canal, every single child looks different and you need to make two functioning atrioventricular valves out of one. Yeah. And it, it can be challenging. For the, the orthopedic surgeons out there, we have uh, great imaging to, to see the bones and see all of the, the landmarks, and they, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. The heart is one of those, seems to be a hard one to image and to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, what, what is that like going in? Are, are you like 100% sure of everything you're going to see, or are there some surprises sometimes? There's some surprises, but I would say I'm 90, 98.2% <laughs> sure of what I'm going to see. Yeah. Um, you know, the echo that we have today, echocardiography and ultrasound that's directly on the chest is extremely accurate. Um, there's even 3D versions of that that can demonstrate valve movements and those sorts of things. And cardiac cath, um, which is, you know, going to a special uh, catheterization laboratory where we, you know, can put dye and stuff through the arteries and veins and, and map out some things. The advances with CT scans, MRIs, we have 3D printing. I can print out a 3D version of a heart that's sliced in any direction you can think. In fact, we stole it from the orthopods. <laughs> they use that for, you know, yep. hip and knee reconstructions and stuff. Um, so it's nice to be able to have a tremendous amount of modalities, but surprisingly we can take most kids to the operating room with just an echo. Yeah. And um, I, I would say that it's kind of made that number up, but I'm going to stick with 98.2% accurate. Occasionally <laughs> we find, you know, you know, that's, this is a little, you know, malaligned or this blood vessel is a little smaller than we thought or something of that nature, but uh, we don't go in blind. I think, um, you know, with today's imaging, it's, it sets us up for success. Good. What does a typical week look like for you? Um, well, uh, I'm in a fairly, uh, you know, large practice in a children's hospital um, I have two other partners, so three surgeons together. We have one person that's on call, one person that's on backup call, and then one person that would be off. So that being said, um, 
we operate Monday through Friday. I typically operate four days a week. Um, I come in in the morning at about 6.30, and my immediate uh, stop after getting a coffee is the intensive care unit, and we check on the kids that we operated on from the previous day. Just a quick, I, I call it kind of note card rounding. You know, we don't go through every single detail of every single patient, but just a highlight of what's happened uh, overnight with the critical care patients. Um, and then from there, we go to the operating room. I'm usually in the operating room at about 7.15. Um, we do two pediatric heart cases a day, almost every day, Monday through Friday. Wow. And I'm either involved with helping or doing uh, one of those cases. Um, so most of my day is spent uh, in the operating room. Um, Thursdays is my clinic day. So I see patients either before their surgery or after their surgery. Uh, not everything I do is a newborn that's been in the hospital. You know, many kids can actually go home. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, so I have a clinic on Thursdays and I try to get my meetings and those sorts of things on Thursday. I have an administrative job as well. I'm the chairman of cardiothoracic surgery here in our, at Atrium Health. And um, so I have a lot of administrative duties as well that I, you know, by my choosing, I, I pile on at the end of the day and try, try to get all that stuff in. But I'm, I'm operating four days a week. Yeah. Interesting. Lots of our time. So if someone's interested in the, the operating room and, and being a surgeon, it sounds like a, a good uh, good field for that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What does call look like for you? Um, well, we have. I'm in a center where we do heart transplant as well. So um, that's why we have someone on call and someone on backup call. Uh, to do heart transplant takes two, two surgeons. Someone has to go get it someone has to be here with a child that's awaiting the heart. Um, but that doesn't happen that often. So, you know, I'm on call, technically speaking, you know, a third of the time, whether we divide that up on, you know, a weekly basis or a daily basis. Um, my particular group, we're, we're responsible for our own kids. So if I operated on, you know, I operated on two kids today. So uh, should that child misbehave tonight or need my, you know, need my help in the middle of the night, um, I'll be the one called for that. Um, now on the weekends, we, you know, we divide the weekends in, in thirds. So I'm on call for a weekend. And again, that, that, that just, I typically just kind of come in in the morning, quick highlight through the ICU. Uh, I have a tremendous support staff from cardiologists and ICU doctors that, uh, that really do the grunt work after, after the operating room. And, and, um, you know, we'll talk about benefits to my job. I, I find that rewarding. Um, you know, I can kind of come in and kiss the babies and shake hands with the parents and <laughs> you're like the you Pope. Know, yeah, that's it. Be a big <laughs> hero and, uh, you know, get a couple photos with the kid before they leave. Um, but you know, I, I think pediatric heart, not, I think pediatric heart surgery has to have a tremendous support staff or, yeah. or it just doesn't work. So, um, fortunately there's a lot of doctors that, that really help me out and, and keep our kids moving in the right direction. But so, yes, I'm on call every third weekend. Uh, but, you know, call for me is, is more of a social visit you yeah. know, in the hospital, you know, would there be, you know, should there be an emergency or transplant, obviously I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, kind of what I talked about earlier. It's just not that common. Yeah. What about for the, the person listening to this, who is really interested in the operating room and, and pediatric heart surgery. Um, but here's, you say that <clears throat> about the support staff and everything else. 
But then wonders like, well, I love long-term care of patients too, that long-term relationship. And it sounds like from what you're saying, maybe there's a little bit less of that because it's everyone else that's taking care of the patient post-operation. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, the the preoperative workup is predominantly done by a cardiologist. Um, all the imaging studies that we talked about, I'm sure there's radiologists and stuff involved in that. Um, the patient would be referred to me either, you know, let's suppose it's a newborn and they're in house. Um, you know, I, I would go see the family and tell them about surgery and, um, you know, get them through the operation. And fortunately, you know, it's, it's, it's successful. It's successful most of the time. So uh, other than, you know, a simple post-operative check, looking at their incision or something of that nature, most of their care is performed by a cardiologist, uh, the long-term follow-up care. So I think if someone was interested in, you know, truly a long-term follow-up watching a kid from, you know, two days old and following them to their 20, um, I think you'd probably be better off in, in, a, in the medical world as a cardiologist, as opposed to a heart surgeon. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, I, I have tremendous relationships with most of my families, but me seeing them in my office, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're better served by a cardiologist. Yeah. And that's one of the, the great things. I'm glad we could highlight that is, is that self-reflection and understanding who you are as a person and what you want out of your career, um, to make sure that you end up in a specialty that, that gives you that. So yeah, I can't amplify that enough. I, I have a lot of students and residents and stuff that talk to me, you know, how do you, how do you decide on these sorts of things and good word, self-reflection, you, you got to be able to truly understand what, what you want, you know, do you want to sit in clinic five days a week, seeing 40 patients a day? Well, that that's one career path. Um, would you like to be in the operating room and then responsible for all of the things that are involved in that, which could be taking them back in the middle of the night and all this sort of stuff, then that's, you know, that's a different mindset. And I guess that's the purpose of these podcasts. Yeah. Talk about the subtleties between get, those. Get people thinking about it. Yeah. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the family? Absolutely. Um, you know, I have, um, um, you know, two, you know, they're now grown, but you know, I raised two, two young boys and, um, you know, there may be a, a very rare exception, but I think I made, you know, every, every football game and baseball game and, and everything possible. Do it, does it take a, you know, a little bit of juggling sometimes to pull that off? That answer is yes. Um, you know, have I had to answer my phone call in a, in a football game or baseball game before and step out and take it? I have, um, but you know, I've, I adjust, you know, and I, and I think, you know, the ability to adjust is, is key in any aspect of medicine, you know, whether it's heart surgery or not, you, you know, you gotta, I have a priority. Um, my priority is, is my career and taking care of my patients. That doesn't mean I, I love that more than I love my family. I, I, I say that a lot as well. There's a lot of subtlety in that last comment, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as physicians of any type, you have a responsibility and, Sometimes I'm afraid that's lost, and, and um, uh, you know it's not lost in me. Uh, I, I have it, and and uh, if I operate on your child, and your child needs me at two o'clock in the morning, your child's going to get me at two o'clock in the morning. If I have to, you know, miss a dinner party uh, because your kid is sick and needs surgical intervention, I'm going to miss the dinner party. Fortunately, it doesn't happen often, but yeah. my priority is such that that it takes top priority. Yeah, it has to. 
but your question, you know, my life outside, I mean, I'm happily married. I raised two kids who are now young adults. Um, I exercise. I like to travel. I like cars. I like gardening. I'm able to do it all. So, nice. you know, it may not be at the exact time of other people, but yeah, you know, that's awesome. What uh, you mentioned earlier, 12 years of uh, postgraduate training. You don't have uh, to rub that in now, Ryan. Come on. 12, 12 years. Um, what, what does that training path look like? Yeah, so right after medical school, um, I did general surgery. Um, general surgery is five clinical years. Um, the general surgery program that I was in had two years of research built into that. So after our third year of, of general surgery residency, we did two years of research. Um, I had cardiothoracic research available to me, which I was very fortunate. So I did two years uh, after my third year of, of general surgery residency in the lab. And um, I was in a transplant lab uh, looking at rejection models with heart and lung transplants. So you know, I was still, you know, was able to operate and on animal models at that particular time. And it, it was good. It allowed me to learn to write papers, learn to be a scientist, tra travel around the country at various meetings for which I was going to be future members of. It, it was a good experience. So, uh, so seven years, if you count that for general surgery. Um, and then I did a cardiothoracic fellowship after that, um, those fellowships range between two and three years. Of course, I had to pick the three-year one. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, exactly. So I did three years of adult cardiothoracic training, and then um, and then another you know super fellowship, if you will, on top of that of congenital heart surgery, which was two years long for me. And they all kind of vary. Um, you know, today there's tracks where you can do cardiothoracic training right out of medical school. You mm -hmm. can you can uh, match and it's six years uh, where you kind of bypass at least the majority of general surgery. I think the first two years are very similar. Um, but uh, so six years of cardiothoracic training, and then you would still have to do a year or two of congenital at the end of that. So there are other pathways. Uh, when I did it, it was just general surgery to cardiothoracic to congenital. So it was a long journey, a long time, but to be honest with you, I would do it again if I had the opportunity. Yeah, you know, it was hard, uh, and that was pre eighty-hour work week and all the, <laughs> you know all of those subtleties. But uh, we don't talk about those days. <laughs> yeah, but I I liked it. it you know, yeah. it's a character builder. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I couldn't do it at my current age. But I but I would do it again if I if I were young and had the opportunity to do it again. Yeah, for the osteopathic student listening to this, do you have any sort of insight on, on what they may need to do to, to stand out to become a, a, a congenital heart surgeon? I think if you could get a cardiothoracic fellowship, um, you know, which would be step one, I think, you know, and you, and you excelled there, technically speaking, um, you know, I, I think the opportunity would be there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, the numbers are small. I don't know why that is. Um, maybe, you know, osteopathic students gravitate towards other more primary care type things. Um, the number's not zero. I, I don't know for pediatric heart surgery, to be yeah. honest with you, but uh, there there are osteopathic cardiothoracic surgeons. And and the, the pathway to get there is, is technical ability. Um, I've this is a broad sweeping statement and certainly there are exceptions. Generally speaking, if 
if you're pretty good at general surgery, um, you're probably a pretty good candidate to go to, you know, cardiothoracic training. And if you are a, you know, reasonable adult heart surgeon, you're probably a pretty good, you, you know, it, it transitions. In other words, if you have trouble operating on adult hearts, you're probably not going to succeed in the pediatric world. So they kind of lead to one another, but you know, the advice is just, you know, don't worry about the initials after your name, keep your head down and stay focused and do the best that you possibly can, um, you know, and, and, and get into a training program and use it for every ounce that you possibly can. Yeah. And, um, I, I think the opportunity is there. It's probably not as easy as if you were, you know, in an, in an MD program, is that fair or not? I mean, I don't know. Is it factual? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I, I love what you said, right? Just put your, put your head down, stay focused. Uh, even before that, right? In medical school, when you're on your rotations and you may do some, some electives or, or, or away rotations, work your butt off. <laughs> just, yeah, man. That's, that's what you're there for is to work your butt off every single minute you're in the hospital. So, and, and when you're out of the hospital reading about all the procedures that next day. So that, that's where you yeah. show off. So much to be said there, Ryan. I'll echo that. Uh, I'm nowhere near the smartest student in, you know, in my medical school class or general surgery or, or any of those training uh, modalities that I mentioned. Um, but I'm a hard worker and uh, I like it. And, yeah. I, and I think that that you ask, what are the traits to get there? I'm going to add that to it. You, you got to love what you do because there's some there's some downside to everything. Yeah. You know, there's there's some downside to be a being, uh, you know, Tiger Woods on the, on the golf course. <laughs> Maybe that's not a perfect example, but yeah. you, you know, the, you gotta, you gotta truly love what you're doing and, um, you know, keep your head down and stay focused. It has nothing to do with, you know, what your grades are and those sorts of things. Cause all that just becomes more distant and distant as, as time, as time goes on, have a passion for what you do. And hell, I, I never go to work. You know, <laughs> my, my job and my passion and my hobby are the same thing. Yeah. You get I'm to lucky. listen to music for a living. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. One of the most important parts of the operating room is the, yeah, the music that's right. choice. Yes. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew before going into pediatric heart surgery? To be honest with you, I would probably... Uh, reflect on what I just said right there. I, I spent a lot of time comparing myself to other people. Why am I not as smart as, you know, Ryan Gray, or why is this person better at that? Or that person has DO after their name and this person has MD after their name. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was focused on all those sorts of things growing yeah. up, you know, you know, going through this and, and um, you know, but believe in yourself, work hard, attack the things that you're able to change. And, you know, I don't mean to sound cliche and, you know, accept mm -hmm. the things that you can't. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's just the maturity of life. I think out, you know, whether we're talking about healthcare or, or parenting or, you know, creating your own podcast or, or whatever, you yeah. know, you, you, you gotta be able to do the best that you can and, and make the best of every situation and bring others up around you. And, and, um, you know, it, it, when I, you asked me 15 years ago, you know, I was focused on perfect surgery. You know, how can I sew this better and smoother and faster and all this sort of stuff, you know, hell, that's, that's the easiest part of my job right now. There's so many other, you know, side jobs, if you will, that are more difficult and such, you know, some are rewarding, many are not, 
Um, but you know, the, the, I guess the maturity or the foresight to be able to see all of those sorts of things, you know, I do way more than sew circles together. And, you know, at, at one point in my career that, you know, that was my focus, you know, how well can I sew the, sew the circle together? Can I <laughs> sew a smaller circle together, even faster and perfect. So it doesn't leak and, yeah. you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and uh, everybody gets that eventually it's, it's all the other moving parts. You, you got to be able to pull it together. Yeah. What do you like the most about your specialty? You know, I like being able to sit down and talk to a family, um, you know, about the intricacy of their child's heart disease. It's a language that really nobody speaks. Mm-hmm. Um, they have total faith in you, you know, as opposed to, you know, you take your child to the pediatrician because they have an ear infection or something of that nature. You know, most most families speak ear infection and antibiotics. They kind of know that yeah. uh, when your child has, you know, double outlet right ventricle with pulmonary stenosis and transposed great vessels. <laughs> what response to that as a parent is nothing, you, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, I actually enjoy building that that trust with a family and yeah. uh, they, they see who I am pretty immediately. Um, mm-hmm. I call it like it is. I have nothing to hide. Almost every family asks, have I lost a child with this type of operation before? And I answer that question honestly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think they appreciate that. So that level, while I don't get to bond with them for the next 20 years of their life, that bond is impactful and yeah. it's a 45 minute bond of sitting at the bedside with a baby that weighs two pounds. And, you know, I'm going to take your child to the operating room tomorrow, stop their heart, fix whatever it is that needs to be fixed and bring them back to you. Yeah. And, you know, there's a level of uncertainty to that. And I actually enjoy that. It's, it's a, it's a bond. It's a, it's a transparent uh, relationship that I, I think is not shared by any other doctor in the hospital. It yeah. really isn't. The far majority of the, the patients, the families that you're you're working with, they've spent the last nine months, right, with with the the best thoughts going through the head of the life they're going to lead with their kids, uh, their kid that, that's uh, growing inside of them. Only to find out whether during during the pregnancy or after after giving birth that the life that they had in mind isn't uh, isn't going to be that or is going to be hard to get there because of these defects. What what advice do you have for having those conversations with people who are hearing probably the most devastating news of their life? Yeah. Um. You know, those are difficult conversations. And, you know, for, fortunately, uh, the people before me, we, we became very good at pediatric heart surgery in the 90s. Um, like I said, it's a relatively new specialty. Um, you know, the children in the 60s and 70s and, you know, that were born with, you know, Tetralogy of Fallot, a fairly common heart defect, Um you know, many of them did not make it or they made it through childhood, but then didn't make it into adulthood or something. Those numbers have changed dramatically. Um, Fortunately, the generation before me, the surgeons and ICU doctors and anesthesiologists before me really changed the scene. Um, So the success that we have with surgery is tremendous. Um, And I'm proud to say that, you know, nationwide, all congenital heart lesions combined, we have about a two and a half percent mortality. Wow. 
That's fantastic. And about 95% of kids that are born with congenital heart disease of any type make it to adulthood. And that's phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I'm very transparent with care. Is their child going to live a normal life and, and be an Olympic track star? Probably not. Um, but I want them to live a normal life. I want them to go to high school. I want them to, you know, do all sorts of things that they possibly can. And they limit themselves. That, you know, that, that's kind of the way I describe it. You know, the chances of you and I becoming an Olympic athlete was probably zero. <laughs> and we don't have hey, know, congenital hey, heart that's disease. That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so, but I, I do try to create some level of, you know, reasonable expectation where they're, where they'll, will their child need to see a cardiologist more so than their next door neighbor's child? Yeah. Yeah. They probably will, but that doesn't mean they can't play T-ball and, you know, little league soccer and go to high school and drive a car and go to college and get married. Um, but you know, the reasonable expectations is it's, it's, um, it's appropriate to share that with them. And I think the families appreciate that. Um, it's, it's not quite as doom and gloom as they once thought it was. Yeah. What do you like the least? Um, I know you're expecting me to say it's probably the loss of a child and you know, that, that affects me in some certain way. It, it, it lands in some certain part of my brain. Um, I would say the least is probably dealing with people who have less commitment than you. And that's, that's a difficult hurdle to get through. Uh, I think is patient wise you know, or colleague wise. Not colleague wise. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I work with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They're very talented and very skilled and they chose their career um, appropriately off of the questions <laughs> that you, that you asked me. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just, uh, they're not quite as vested. And I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way in yeah. any way, shape or form. Um, yeah. You know, they have 40 patients in their clinic. I, I totally get it. Um and, uh, you know, so to answer that question, honestly, I, I would say unequal commitment of involved parties taking care of yeah. patients. It's a, a challenging thing in life in general, wh whether you're a, a pediatric heart surgeon or a boss, a manager of people, is the expectation that other people care as much as you and other people will work as hard as you. Um, if you have that expectation, oftentimes you're going to be disappointed. And so yeah, that would be me. Well, yeah. said. You, you used better words than, than I was <laughs> trying to spit out there, but that, you hit it right on the head. So yeah. my expectation is high. Yep. And, uh, you know, most of the time the delivery's there, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to get my head wrapped around those things sometimes. Yeah. Very, very common issue for high achieving people. Um, and it's just something you, you work with over time and figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, what major changes for, for someone potentially interested in going into this, what major changes do you see coming into the field that may affect a, a person's career outlook? I'll tackle that from two approaches. I think, you know, the only way to get here is through cardiothoracic surgery. Um, cardiac, adult cardiac surgery is having lots of changes with interventions being done in the cath lab. You know, you can get your coronaries 
uh, treated with stents and those sorts of things. We can now put valves in without opening your chest. Uh, you've probably heard about some of those from some of your other interviews and stuff. That doesn't mean that cardiac surgery is going away. It will never go away, um, but it changes. I think in pediatric heart surgery, we've had some advances in the cath lab, um, but it, it's not gonna be to the degree that adult heart surgery is. When your blood vessels come off of the wrong ventricle, there's nothing we can do in the cath lab to, to treat that. I, there's no pill that's gonna allow me to switch the great vessels from one side to the other. Um, you know, not, not in our lifetime, Ryan, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. So, um, you know, the, the evolution of pediatric heart surgery is going to just going to be continued improve outcomes from a team approach from anesthesia getting better every day from critical care getting better every day cardiology getting better every day from a surgical standpoint you know it's you know still room for improvement but we've we've plateaued significantly you know our mortality in our particular center here in Charlotte North Carolina i mean it's less than 1% Mm -hmm. um, you know, the improvements are, you know, we, we need to start viewing success beyond the operating room. We can get just about every kid through the operating room. Uh, let's start measuring their success on how the kids do in school. Do they have any behavioral problems? You know, how are they, you know, neurodevelopmentally um, adapting to the world after being put on a heart-lung machine at two days of life and you know, cooling your child's brain down and that, you know, all of those sorts of things. So I think those are the, you know, that's the progress we're going to make in the, in this specialty. You know, I would like the surgical mortality to be zero, but, you know, we're, we're pretty damn close already. Uh, you know, certainly it could get a little better, but the improvements are going to be in the perioperative care, long-term care of these kids, making them successful, thriving adults. Yeah. I think you've already answered this, but I'll, I'll ask again more directly. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric heart surgeon? Zero hesitation, 100%. Absolutely. Love it. Awesome. Um, it's a rewarding, rewarding career. It fits perfect with my lifestyle. Um, the journey here is long and vicious and violent and all the other negative words that you want to put with that. Uh, but anything worth doing, you got to pay the price to do it. And, um, you know, I, I mean this, I, I'm like the luckiest doctor in the world. I've got a great job. Um, I, I get to operate in the most pristine environment that I can possibly think of. Families have tremendous faith in me and my team and my partners and handing over their newborn child to do heart surgery. It's very rewarding. Um, yeah. it, it's a good feeling. I, I go home with a good feeling 99% of the time. Uh, you know, it, the 1% of the time, I promise you, it's the worst feeling in the world. And if it were much more than that, to be honest with you, it probably wouldn't be worth it. You know, I don't know if I could, you know, the guys 20 years ago with 10% mortality, uh, that's, that's hard to go home, brother. You, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Yes, I would do it again. I am very fortunate, um, but there's just, there's not a lot of room here. It's a, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity. So I, I got lucky. For the, the student or resident looking into pediatric heart surgery, what final words of wisdom do you have for them? You asked me what one of my traits were earlier on, and I'll repeat the word again, stick-to-itiveness. Um, you're going to have ups and downs. 
you're going to work with doctors you don't like. You're going to work with surgeons that you think are a total ass. They're unfair. They like this person better than me. This, uh, yeah. Keep your head down. You take care of you. You do the best that you possibly can every single day. And you're going to land where you need to land. If it's in pediatric heart surgery, you'll, you'll land there. That's where it is. If it's in general surgery, if it's in vascular surgery or thyroid surgery, you'll, you'll land where you need to land. Don't compare yourself to others because um, other people are comparing themselves to you. There, there's no need, for you, no need for you to do that. You control you. And, um, you know, the ability to self-reflect, I think we talked about that earlier too. That, that is a unique skill set that, you know, takes a long time to get. Probably took me 40 years to figure that out, the ability to self-reflect. Am I good at this? Am I not good at this? Um, that's a hard answer to answer, honestly, for, for many people. So the earlier you can catch on to that, the more successful you're going to be. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Thomas Maxey pediatric cardiac surgeon. Now, we had a lot of discussion about there are some bad things that you're going to have to deal with. There's some tough times in residency and fellowship they're going to have to deal with. But you heard him say that he feels like total hours-wise, he's working a normal job like any other physician out there. And so for a lot of you out there who are concerned about work-life balance, there are going to be seasons in your life where it's, there's going to be some imbalance, and that's in the micro. But when you pull back and look at the macro of your life, it sounds like Dr. Thomas Maxey has a great work-life balance that he has attained after years of maybe not having some work-life balance. And if this is something that you're interested in, this is one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is to talk to physicians, to surgeons about their career, what it looks like, what they enjoy, what do they have time for life outside of the hospital. And the discussion today really highlights the fact that for the far majority of physicians out there, as you go through your medical training, you're probably not going to have good work-life balance. But at the end of the training, what does that look like? And that's what I want to keep you all thinking about as you go through your, your path and picking out a specialty that you want. Don't pick an easy residency because it has good work-life balance when on the other end, you may not be excited about that career. You have to do a lot of self-reflection about what you want to do in your career, what you want to do day in and day out. What's going to make you happy waking up every single day to go to work and see patients? And it sounds like Dr. Thomas Maxey has figured that out. If you want more information about congenital heart surgery, go to chss.org. That's the Congenital Heart Surgeons Society. Again, that's chss. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. Specialty Stories.